0: All right. Yes, if you have your Bibles this evening, you can open up to Genesis chapter 6. We'll be picking up our study there as we return here to this book. And uh, excited uh, to, to be uh, back in Genesis with you this evening as I was considering and studying and preparing for tonight. Because um, here we're coming now to the passage in the several chapters in Genesis where we consider Noah and the flood and, and the post-flood era and... The last time that I taught on the topic of Noah was from Hebrews chapter eleven. We're going to consider part of that here this evening because it it gives us some great insight into how God viewed Noah. But the last time we we talked about this was the Sunday before New Year's 2020. Uh, it was December 29th of 2019. I'm going to take some elements of that uh, study and bring it back here this evening because it's just fitting as we go back to this. And it was just interesting because, you know, as I found myself reviewing some of my study notes from that previous message and considering here we are going into 2020. And no doubt for many of you, you had different ideas and thoughts about what this year was going to hold, right? Probably not many of them (laughs) uh, that were experiencing today were on that list uh, at that particular time. But what we learn from Noah's life, and specifically his obedience to God, is just as relevant for us uh, today. And so I I pray that you're encouraged by this here this evening. You know, I also thought uh, as I was uh, praying this morning and, you know, when anything's going on in the world, as a pastor, you just prayerfully consider, Lord, what is the... What does the body need, Lord? What do they want to hear? Is there anything that I need to address tonight, Lord? Is there anything that I need to speak to? And, you know, we've obviously dealt with uh, many of the the various topics that our country has been facing over the last several months. And and so here this morning, as we are, of course... uh, not not too differently than probably what many of us thought last week that you know election day wasn't going to really be election day it was going to be election days and weeks and, and who knows how long uh, and so as I was praying this morning I said Lord is there anything to share with the body and uh, I really do sense that the the Lord just said make sure that everybody knows it's it's first Wednesday and we're coming together for dinner and we're going to study the word of God and we're going to get into the Word, and we're going to study it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we're going to do what we always do. I received some encouragement this week from a couple. Um, hadn't seen them in, in some time, and uh, they, didn't, for that reason, you you would expect that they don't go to this church. They're in a different church in a different area. And uh, they texted the other night, and they said, "Well, they said we we miss you, and uh, we've been listening to a lot of pastors lately." and a lot of different perspectives on everything that's going on. And they said, um, and it wasn't just it wasn't just about me, it wasn't a compliment to me, but they said, and all the pastors that we're listening to, it sure seems like Calvary Chapel right now is just teaching the word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we appreciate that and we're encouraged by that. And uh, again, that's not to degrade any other, there's a lot of great churches, a lot of great pastors that are teaching the word, but it just reminded me. Here is somebody, they're not even in our church, and they're just saying, all I'm looking for right now is the Word of God. And there's pastors out there that are feeding, feeding their sheep that. And so that's what we're doing tonight. We're going to get into the Word, and uh, we're going to do what we always do. And so let's go ahead and uh, read together. Let's go ahead and read the first eight verses together, and then uh, by way of review, and uh, we'll pray and continue. Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we read, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. And there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. And those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And when the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And verse 8 But Noah found grace. In the eyes of the Lord, Father, we pause here this evening once more, and we thank you, Lord, for our time of of praise and worship, the opportunity to just center our hearts and our minds on You, and to worship You, Lord. And and now, as we look to Your Word, we pray our worship would continue, that we would uh, surrender our lives to bring ourselves under the authority of it, and that uh, that like Noah, uh, that we once again this evening might find grace in Your eyes, unmerited favor, Lord that you'd look upon us with grace and mercy. Lord, knowing that uh, without you, Lord, we are, we are lost. Um, but with you, Lord, we're found. We have life. And as we consider, Lord, the, uh, this passage of Scripture here this evening, we pray that your Spirit would give us understanding. We'd be able to apply it to our lives, to take from it, Lord, what you have for us here tonight and, and to go forth strengthened and encouraged on our faith, Lord, that we might continue to serve you and bring you glory in this world that needs you so much. And so, Father, do that work here tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we got into a little bit of chapter six last time. The first portion there is what many refer to as the Nephilim. We talked a little bit about that um, uh, fallen angels uh, who intermingle with uh with human beings on earth and uh, a race comes from them and uh, if you want to know more about that you can go back and listen to the last uh, the last message uh, online genesis five and and six it's entitled and From there, then what we see because of this, because of the fallen angels that have created or have birthed this race on the earth, and because of sin and fallen humanity, we see that sin just continues to be pervasive throughout the world. If you recall, there are likely, and, and we don't know this for sure, but you know many people have done studies and looked at you know genealogies and lifespans based off of what the Bible says during this time, and, and uh, have suggested that there's likely upwards of three billion people that are living on the earth at this time. The span of time from the garden until now was such that a significant population growth had occurred, but sadly, sin had totally consumed humanity we see the effects of sin on humanity today, but what's different today than at this particular time? Well, of course, we have Jesus. We're on the other side of the cross. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that serves as a restrainer in our world today, and so wickedness is not near what it was at this particular time, even though wickedness is still growing in our world today. We know, based off of end times prophecy, that there will come a point when the presence of the Holy Spirit will no longer be in this world. The church will no longer be in this world. And at that time, it only takes but just the removal of the Spirit for humanity to just go headlong into wickedness once again and enter into that time of the tribulation. And so this was a, this was a terribly wicked time. God says that the wickedness of man was great. Every intent of his heart was evil continually. This is God saying they're bad people. They're sinful people. And so now the earth is full of a wicked people, and God, grieved over this, determines to destroy humanity, much of his creation, and start fresh. Now, apart from the earlier genealogy that we can read there in chapter 5, here we really first encounter this man named Noah. One man, one man who found grace, who found unmerited favor, who God saw fit to spare, and not just spare, but also use for his glory. This is incredible. And why just one man? Well, amongst all those who were wicked and evil, there was only one who was truly humble and who was willing to trust God. And as Scripture says, who was willing to walk with him. We read in verse 9 and 10, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Recall what it means to walk with God. We considered this the week before last in our study of Genesis 5. To walk with God, and and we also looked at this when we went through the 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 Hall of Faith there in Hebrews 11. It means that we trust God. To walk with God means that you trust God. If you're going to walk with someone, it means that you are agreeing with them on the destination, the place. You're agreeing with someone on the place that you will go. You're agreeing with them on the path that you will take. You're agreeing with them on the pace at which you will go. If you're going to walk with God, you're going to trust God to say, God, wherever you want me to go, I will go. However you want me to get there, I will go that way wherever and however long it takes. Lord, I will follow. Your way is better. Now, we can say that pretty easily, and we can, we can hear that in a study, and it thinks, oh, well, that, that's great, right? It's maybe something you write down in your notes. To walk with God means to trust Him with the, the place, the path, and the pace. And we can get that here, but it's another thing for it to move 18 inches from your mind to your heart and for you to truly be obedient in that, right? Because if you're anything like me, you can think about the different things that God has called you to, and probably in all three of those things, you'd say, well, I don't know that I really wanted to go to that place, Lord. I don't know that I really wanted to take that path, Lord. I don't know that I really wanted to go at that speed, Lord. That was maybe a little too fast for me or a little too slow for me. But this is what it means to trust God and to walk with God. And Noah is one of these people, and we see this in his life, that Noah is one who's willing to say, your way is better, God, and I'll do it. And this is hard enough for us to do, as I've mentioned, oftentimes even in our culture today. But what about Noah and in his time? What is it that God was asking of him? And how easy was it for him to fulfill this, to be obedient to what God was asking? What was it that Noah was asked to do? Well, we read in verses 11 and following, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And so God looked upon the earth And indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. We see again here the the wickedness of those on the earth. God's making this clear. And God said to Noah in verse 13, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So God is speaking to Noah here, and He's telling Noah, I am going to destroy everything. All flesh, as well as the earth. Everything on the earth. And He's telling Noah, but I've got a job for you. Noah must be thinking, okay, well what is the job? What is it, God, that you want me to do? And here God gives him His task. In verse 14, and following, He says, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. That's where God begins. No doubt Noah had to have said something like, wait, what? Right? what? What exactly, God, do you want me to do? First of all, what's an ark? And what's gopher wood? Now maybe Noah, we trust that Noah Noah's probably a bit more familiar with gopher wood. If you do a study of gopher wood, you'll find that a lot of people have really struggled to really track down <laughs> gopher wood and what exactly it is. And there's a lot of ideas as to a tree that it's similar to today. But here, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And, and so not only is Noah probably asking the question, and we'll consider this here shortly, of, of what even is an ark, but he's probably also a little concerned with what is it that you're doing to all of humanity? Why, why am I set aside? How, how, is it, how exactly am I going to be spared here? But God, of course, gives him some specifics. God understands his heart and his mind in this situation and that he has questions, so God begins to give him An explanation for exactly what's going to happen and exactly what he needs to do. First, he gives him specifics for the ark itself. He says, make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Its width, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks." So he says here that this ark is going to be 300 cubits in length, uh, 50 wide, height 30 cubits. There's going to be a a window on it. There's going to be a door on the side of it. If a cubit is about 18 inches, which uh, most people agree it is, then the ark is 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. This is a pretty big boat that he has to build. And it says in verse 17, And behold, I myself... In bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But, verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. God gives Noah further instruction here that everyone and everything on the earth will die, but he is making a covenant a promise with Noah to spare he and his family. Eight people will ultimately enter the ark and they will be given a fresh start. They will be given access to a new world. But it's not just this. There's also additional instruction. There's, there's more that comes along with this as Noah's maybe thinking, that's an awfully big boat for just eight people. In verse 19, and of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Now, this, at this point, has to be incredibly heavy for Noah as he's taking all of this in, as he's trying to figure out what exactly it is that God is asking him to do. First of all, he understands here, as God has told him, that creation is going to be destroyed. So the world in which he lives and all of the people, more than he's even aware of, he's coming to the realization are going to be destroyed. They're going to be destroyed also by a flood, which is likely something that Noah is not even familiar with, this idea of a flood. Everyone except for he and his family are going to die. If you were given that news today, if somebody were to let you know that everybody on the world in the world is going to die except for just you and your family, you would take that as pretty heavy news, especially if the way in which the world is going to be destroyed was of something that you were just entirely unfamiliar with. You couldn't even begin to understand it, to fathom it. Not to mention, then you're given the task of building a big boat, a ship, in order to survive. And you need to bring on that ship with you a whole lot of animals. Maybe you don't even like animals. And you're thinking, how in the world am I even going to get all these animals rounded up? Right? Now, a lot of people, when, when they read this, especially critics of the Bible, they look at all of this and, of course, they pass it off as just a story. We've dealt with this many times, even in the first five chapters of our study of Genesis. Uh, those of you that have had the privilege of going to the Creation Museum and to see the Ark encounter there, you see a... An example of the ark, a pretty incredible example, a, a biblical example, something that's built to the to the specifications that we have in scripture, and you're able to kind of take in the fact that not only is it an incredible thing that was built, but it's real, that it makes sense, right? That as you go through the inner workings of the ark, as you see its size, and uh, you, you find yourself going, "No, this is this is possible. This isn't just something that that you know is just this made-up story. No, this could be done. In fact, a lot of people have suggested that oh, there's just no way that You could have gotten all of these animals onto the ark. Absolutely, you could get all these animals on the ark. Um, This was a study that was done back in the late 90s or the early 2000s of the then-known animal species, and I won't go into all the details here. But they said that basically, if you did, if you took, which, which, by the way, we'll see in Genesis chapter seven that that Noah doesn't actually take uh, like every animal that's on the earth. There's a specific type of animal you're supposed to take: clean animals. Two of every kind and then seven of some kind of the seven of the clean animals in order to make sacrifices. The bottom line is it's not that he's just rounding up every every animal that's on the planet. It's it's representatives of each of the, the species and the kind. But even if you took every single uh, species, if you took every category of animal, and again, this was a study in the early 2000s, and you were getting them onto this boat, there would actually be plenty of room. The way that the ark was built and the size of the ark, it would actually accommodate 520 shipping containers. Uh, We see shipping containers today. You see them at the backs of semis. You see them going on railway cars. You see them out on, on ships. It would actually hold 520 shipping containers, and you could actually get... Again, in the early 2000s, all species, based off of what's required here in scripture, in 240 of those containers, assuming that they were of a younger age, and so they weren't full-grown animals at this time, leaving plenty of room for Noah and his family and all of their supplies. And so you do the math on this stuff, and it's like, no, this this actually works, and so there's no reason for us to contest it. Nevertheless, the idea of this, again, to put yourself in, in Noah's shoes, is to think about how foreign all of these requests were, how foreign all of these commandments were, to even think about building a ship of this size that could hold 520 shipping containers, and you just think, okay, I've got to to go do this. I'm going to go figure this out on my own. This is a pretty tall order. But look what it tells us in verse 22. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. So simple, right? (laughs) Noah just did it. He just did it. Fact is, that is what Scripture tells us. Noah was obedient. He did what God told him to do. Is that the way it works in our own lives? That when God calls us to something, when He tells us to do something, we do it. Let's consider Noah's obedience here for a moment. I've alluded to the fact that a lot of this would have been very difficult for Noah to really wrap his mind around why. Noah was a farmer. Noah was a farmer. There's a reason why it's called a farmer's tan. Because you spend most of your time out in the field, not sunbathing on a boat, right? He'd spent his life inland. He had likely never seen a boat, let alone a ship. He had never been witness to the kind of flooding that was about to come upon them. In fact, many believe that at this particular time, based off what Scripture tells us, that it never rained prior to the flood. That at the time of the flood is the first time that God opened up the heavens and allowed rain to fall to the earth from above. Water till that point just came up from the ground and cared for the earth in that way. And so this idea of a flood, this idea of of rain was entirely foreign to Noah. For the case of Noah, the thing he was being asked to build was an entirely foreign concept. The disaster that would come upon the earth was a foreign concept. The work that he was being asked to do would require that he shift his focus for most of his normal daily tasks and life, and it's not as if this work would be accomplished over the course of a week or a month or a year, and then he could just sort of safely sail off and, and leave all the cynics and the naysayers behind. No, what many people fail to realize is that it would take Noah a long time to build the ark. In Genesis 6-3, In verse 3 there, we essentially get the, the point when the countdown begins as God says, my spirit will not strive with man forever. His days will be 120 years. That's the point when God says, in 120 years, this is going to happen. And so from that time then, God speaks to Noah and different things happen in Noah's life. We don't think it took the full 120 years for Noah to accomplish his work, but based off of what a lot of scholars say, it likely took Noah 75 years to complete this work. Seventy-five years. Ashley and I have been in our house four years. I just got hooks up in the bathroom the other day. There's a lot of projects that we've been doing, you know, and I told her, I said, we, we put up two toilet paper dispensers and some hooks for towels. I'm like, man, this is amazing. <laughs> the bathroom seems so organized and clean. What took us so long, right? This guy's got to build a ship and get basically creation onto the ship before the flood comes. I'd be swimming, right? And he works at this for, for 75 years, maybe more than that. I mean, he's committing. Now, granted, if he's 950 years old, you're thinking, well, okay, put, do the percentages. Let's cut us a break here, right? I don't care how you slice it. That's a long time to work at this. Try to imagine that. God calls you to something that really doesn't make sense. People think you're crazy for believing it. The thing that you're planning for doesn't really seem to materialize, at least in the time that you're expecting it to. That is, what God says is going to come to pass doesn't come to pass for upwards of 120 years. But you and obedience continue on. Why? Because you have faith. Because you're walking with God. Because you're saying, God, I trust you with the ultimate destination, the place. I trust you, Lord, with the path to get there. I trust you with the pace that we're going to go. Lord, this is your plan. I'm coming. You have invited me, Lord, to join with you in your work. It's not mine. That's crazy faith, okay? We hear things about crazy faith. That's crazy faith. And there's a lot to be learned from Noah's faith as it pertains to our own. Noah is mentioned, as I alluded to earlier, elsewhere in Scripture, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. We read about Noah there in what is known as the hall of faith. What does Scripture say of Noah. It says there in Hebrews 11, verse 7, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah, as it says, was divinely warned of things not yet seen. Recall there in Genesis chapter 6 and verses 13 and 14 where God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark. Noah says that he was moved with godly fear. That is, in reverent fear or with great respect for God, he was obedient. As we look at Noah, we see various things about his faith. The first of which is that we see that Noah believed and was obedient. And the same expectation is upon us in our own faith. Belief and obedience. Remember, Scripture also tells us that faith pleases God. That it's faith that believes that He is, that He is who He says He is, and that He rewards those who seek Him. And that's exactly what Noah did. Noah did what everyone thought was crazy gave what we would consider well over a lifetime to something that was entirely beyond his own comprehension. In Genesis 6, 9, it said, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, blameless in his generations. Noah walked with God. He trusted where God was leading him. He trusted how it was that God was going to get them there. He trusted God with the pace, the speed at which they were going to go. And I wonder for each of us today, there's things individually for each of you in your own lives that you're having to trust God with. There's something, I think, even bigger than that, that we as a church, maybe you could even argue we as a country, are having to trust God with. But in reverent fear, when God said, build a big boat because a flood is coming, Noah said, okay, God. Now, here's the thing about Noah's obedience. God there in Genesis 6 said, I'm going to bring judgment upon mankind, and I want to spare you. Here's the plan for your salvation. Now, if Noah believed God, if he, as he heard God, said, I trust what it is that God is saying to me, then how could he not be obedient? To be disobedient would have been to say, I don't care about my own life. I don't want to be spared. I'd rather die in the flood along with the others under your judgment. And do we get the implication here when we consider that? That because Noah believed God and what God said he was going to do, it required his obedience. In Matthew chapter 24 and verses 36 through 39, we read, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Do we not think, and we've considered this recently, especially as we went through our three-part evangelism series, do we not think that our world is functioning in much the same way today? Eating, drinking, marrying, going about their life and trusting in the things of this world, not paying any attention to the fact that a judgment is coming. Do we believe that a judgment is coming? Do we believe it when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. Do we believe it when Scripture says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do we believe it when Scripture says that those whose name is not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire? So the question really is, and what it becomes, is if we believe it, what are we doing about it? And if we don't believe it, then we have a different problem. And we need to go back to the beginning. You need to go back to the beginning, the foundations of your faith. But if you do believe it, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you believe in the Word of God, well, then belief requires action. And that's what we see in the life of Noah. That faith and belief led to obedience. Faith always obeys. It's not faith otherwise. It always obeys. If we truly believe like Noah that he is coming in judgment, then we must do something to bring salvation to those around us. And that's exactly what Noah was working to do. He didn't fully understand every detail of what he was asked to do, but ultimately I believe he began to to fully grasp the concept of what God was instructing him in and how that was going to serve to save his whole family. And as Noah went around and he told people about what was coming, don't think for a second that he wasn't hoping that others themselves would repent and join him in the means for their salvation. And with this understanding then, it's a lot easier to understand why Noah did what he did. Because he understood that there was something coming. And so it really does beg the question for all of us, what what is it that he's calling you to? What is it that God is speaking to you? Where is he challenging you? Does it seem kind of crazy? Are there things that maybe you think God is calling you to it and you're just sort of you're praying through it and, and that's good? You're seeking the Lord with it, but you're thinking to yourself, I don't know, this is kind of crazy, Lord. It seems really out there. We need to understand that God's will is clear in Scripture. What may not be as clear is exactly how He has gifted you to participate in that, how He is using you, but His will in Scripture is clear. He is coming in judgment and He wants you to be a part of sharing a message of salvation with the rest of the world. Now, I'm sure there are many of you here tonight who are wrestling with different things that you believe that the Lord is calling you to. And those things are real. But there is something consistent that God has called all of us to. And that's to participate in the Great Commission, to, like Noah, hear from God, understand what it is that God has said He is going to do, and in light of that then, do our part to reach others with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, He's gifted each of you differently and He'll use you in different ways to reach those people, but to be obedient in that. Understanding God's will is not that hard. But again, responding to His invitation to join Him in the work that He's doing in our community and in our state and in our country, wherever that may be, and how it is that He has gifted you may require a little bit more to try and figure that out and understand how He has blessed you and how he's gifted you so that you can participate in that. The thing is, here in this country in particular, we are so accustomed to thinking that discerning the will of God is about what job we're going to get, what city we're going to live in, and what house we're going to buy. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Give me direction. What's your will, Lord? And I'm not knocking the fact that we would consider those things, that we would surrender those things to God. But how American is it for us to go, man? what me discerning the will of God is just about everything that God wants to bless me in my, my life with. Lord, what decision do I make here? This street or that street, this much square footage or that much square footage? Lord, show me. And listen, once again, I'm not minimizing those things. I love it that in every facet of life we can come to God, we can come to a Father who cares. And say, Lord, I want to I bring you glory in everything that I do. I want to please you in everything that I do. I don't want to do anything, Lord, that's outside of your will. And so, Lord, would you give me direction? Would you give me wisdom? And I absolutely love it when we hear stories and have experienced in my own life where God blesses us with things, where it's like, man, never would have had this house or we never would have had this job, okay? It's not that those things aren't great and wonderful and that they're blessings. But we become so focused on those things as ultimately God's will in our lives that we miss out on so much of the other stuff of what God wants us to be doing and to participate in. That maybe we would come to a place where we say, Lord, I know you're going to take care of all those things. So whatever it is that you want, Lord, whatever that path is, whatever that pace is, Lord, I, Lord, it's, it's fine. I'll do whatever I have to do so that, Lord, I can glorify you in this. What Noah's example of faith shows us, first and foremost, is that faith obeys the, the, the crazy stuff, the life-changing stuff. That's what we need to be more focused on. I firmly believe that should the Lord tarry in his return, that in the, in the weeks, uh, the months, or the years ahead, whatever it is, that there is going to be more and more and more opportunity for us to do radical things for Christ. But we have to be willing to be obedient. We often pray, right, for, for wisdom. How many of you want wisdom? I find myself praying on a regular basis, Lord, give me wisdom. I just want to know exactly what it is you want me to do here, but here's the implication of praying for wisdom, right? That you ask in faith without doubting, meaning that what? That when he gives you the wisdom, you put it into practice, you do it. So when he guides and directs you, you you're willing to say, okay, Lord, I'll do what you're asking me to do. What we also see in Noah's example is that when we act in faith, it does condemn the world. Verse 7 says there, By faith Noah, being divinely, this is in Hebrews 11, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world. What this means here is that faith involves belief, which then leads to obedience, which then leads to witness. Through his faith he put the whole world in the wrong, and that's what the New English Bible renders it as. Through his faith he put the whole world in the wrong. Listen, we're not called to be condemning. We're not called here to condemn the world. Now, our approach to evangelism is is not to condemn. However, this is sometimes what the life and the words of a righteous man or woman accomplishes. Because as we see, Noah walked with God. He lived a life where Scripture says that he was blameless. He did the right thing. And sometimes when you do the right thing, other people notice and it serves as an example. And for some, it inspires them also to do the right thing. It motivates them. It encourages them. It gives them confidence to do the right thing. But for others, it just makes them feel bad about themselves. And so they resist it and they keep heading down the wrong path. And then they call you judgmental for doing the right thing. And you don't need to apologize in those cases. Peter writes in 2 Peter 2.5, he says that Noah was a herald of righteousness. Meaning that he shared often of the judgment that was coming and the need to repent. Like countless others, this message can be offensive. Not because of what the righteous proclaims, but because the one becomes condemned. The truth of the gospel can be offensive to many. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 7 says of the law, I would not have known sin except through the law. And so we need to understand that oftentimes the truth exposes things that we did, not, we did not know, and it condemns us. And it makes us aware then of the judgment that awaits because we're found guilty before it. Sadly, as we know, oftentimes today people reject Christ. They say Christians are just condemning, and they run from it. And that's why it's important that we share the truth of the whole gospel, that we share a balanced gospel with people, that isn't just condemnation, isn't just judgment, it's the full gospel. It brings the awareness of condemnation, but also the hope of forgiveness and reconciliation through Jesus Christ. And so we must be about sharing that, but we also shouldn't be surprised when we're walking with God, when our walk and the way we live out our lives exposes sin in another person's life. That's a true witness. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so we see with Noah that faith obeys and faith witnesses. And when we act in faith then, we're also made righteous. We receive, as it says of Noah, an inheritance. As as it says, he became heir of the righteousness which is according to the faith. In Philippians chapter three, verse nine, says, "And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith." Noah was made righteous because he believed God. He believed God, and he was obedient. Romans chapter three, verse twenty-two, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. Noah was obedient and doing what God told him to do. He was obedient in telling others, and this resulted in salvation. It resulted in new life. It resulted in a new world. And so, as we have seen already, even through the first five chapters, now we see it again here in chapter 6, that there is once again an incredible picture here of the salvation that is to come through Noah's obedience. And God is pointing us then to His ultimate means of salvation throughout Scripture. Very practically speaking, what God was asking Noah to do was to build something that was going to be the means of salvation for a people who were in sin, who were about to be judged. It's interesting, as you consider, as I mentioned early on, the gopher wood, that a lot of people struggle to, to figure out what it was, what it was used for and uh, what tree it came from that in early times, uh, apparently many uh, extra-biblical texts suggest that gopher wood was used to make caskets for the dead to be put in, ossuary boxes, and it was used to make crosses that ultimately Noah would be one who would go and have to cut the wood and the timbers, carry the timbers, begin to build the means of humanity's salvation. Because remember, though, at this particular time, God said that it was Noah who found grace in his eyes. That certainly Noah's desire was that others would repent as he shared the message of what was to come. That ultimately it was God's way of saving humanity because it's from Noah that he would birth new life. It's also interesting that as God gives him direction there as he begins to make the ark, and he says in chapter 6, verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. So we have there... Uh, Some significance of the wood. And then he says, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. It's the only place in the Old Testament we see that word. You know what that word's translated as in the new? Atonement. Take this wood, assemble it for the means of salvation and cover it inside and outside with atonement. And though we won't be able to get through the entirety of chapter 7 tonight, Note here that after it says in verse 22 of chapter 6 that Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. And then in chapter 7, verse 1, And then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Here is as Noah, is is taken the wood and assembled the ark and built the ark as he's covered it with atonement inside and out. As he's put a, a door in the side and In time here, God's going to close this door. Scripture tells us, and we'll consider this uh, the next time when we dive into Genesis 7. Noah can't close it. God closes it. God closes the door for them, and he puts them inside, and he keeps them inside. But first comes the invitation, where God says to Noah, come into the ark. It's the same word here that we see elsewhere in Scripture. When God says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Isaiah 1.18. Or in Matthew 11.28 when Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or in Revelation 22.17, Whosoever is thirsty, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. You see, as we've seen since we first started in Genesis, that we're six chapters in. 66 books six chapters into the first one and already multiple times we've seen the invitation to come we've seen God say I'll cover you in man's sinfulness I'll take care of it I'll redeem you I'll restore you I'll cover you man first fell into sin and they're there and and they've made they've attempted to cover themselves as they're hiding there in the bushes and God's first act as he comes to them and he asks them what What is it that you've done? And they confess it to him. And what does he do? He covers them. He covers them. And here now he comes to Noah and he says, You have found grace. And here's what's going to happen. And here's what you're going to do. And Noah, in his obedience, gives us a picture of the cross. And God says to him, Come. And he invites him into a place of safety and a place of refuge. A place where he'll spare him over and over and over again, all the way through the very end, Revelation chapter 22, the very end, he continues to say, come. He invites us in. But it's upon us to say that we trust, we believe, and to obey. That's where those two things work together. It's only in heaven that I'm going to fully understand God's sovereignty and man's free will. It's the only place I, I believe that I will fully understand it, that I'll be able to fully reconcile it. But that ultimately, we have to respond. We have to obey. And so I would simply challenge you tonight as we close. What is it that the Lord's calling you to? For some, it's to first-time salvation. For some, it's to simply respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit unto repentance and to salvation. But for others, for many of you tonight, it may be a variety of different things that God is speaking to you and He's saying. And maybe it's as simple as, as some of those passages that I read. Maybe it's going back again as we've been there multiple times over the last few weeks. It's just simply, coming to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. And, and though you, you hear this, but you just continue to strive and to try and, and do all these other things. Instead of just saying, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll take your yoke upon me. You come to the, the end of yourself where you realize your efforts are no longer working. Or maybe it is to come unto him and to just recognize that you have been made white as snow. That the sins of your past are not what the enemy has convinced you that they are. That you're not beyond his grace, you're not beyond his mercy, you're not beyond his forgiveness, that you're not damaged goods, but that he has given you new life. That the old is gone, the new has come. And it's time for you to respond to the invitation and to say, Okay, Lord, I trust it, I believe it, that you have made me new. Or maybe it's time for you to say, Okay, yeah, Lord, you've been calling me out of this world, this world that I've continued to put my faith and my trust in, my hope in. She would say, Yeah, Lord, I'm gonna trust in you and you alone. My hope is gonna be in you and you alone. That I will come into your presence and I will focus on you, Lord. I'll keep my eyes fixed upon you. I'm not gonna trust in the things of this world any longer. It's up to you to answer that question, but to be obedient, because faith obeys. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much, Lord, again for our time together here this evening. The time of fellowship, Lord, the, the opportunity to, to give you praise and song, and to worship you in the study of your word. And Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for what we see in Scripture. So often, Lord, it just amazes me. Whether it's a genealogy, Lord, or basic instructions for a, a building project, Lord, how you use every word of Scripture, Lord. The point is to you. The point is to you, Lord Jesus, that every word is inspired, every word is living, powerful, and active. Lord, is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces us, Lord. Ultimately, Lord, it's a discerner of the thoughts of the heart. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every person here tonight, Lord, myself included, that, Lord, whatever areas in our life, Lord, may be missing the mark. Whatever areas, Lord, that you have invited us to come unto you, Lord, and to and to be obedient, Lord, or to, to lay something at your feet or to withdraw ourselves, Lord, from something in this world. Whatever it is, Lord, that tonight we would just respond to that. That we would see that in Scripture, Lord, continually over and over and over again, it's your invitation to come unto you. Yes, for salvation, but I believe, Lord, on an, an ongoing basis. Because, Lord, you also call us deeper. you Call us further, Lord, in our walks with you. To go to places, Lord, that are uncomfortable. To go to those places, Lord, where as you're speaking to us, yes, in our limited understanding and in our flesh, Lord, we we think that's crazy, Lord. How could I possibly do that? Lord, open our eyes to the fact that, Lord, we'd be, we'd be telling the creator of the universe that he's crazy. That he's not bigger than those things. And so, Lord, whatever it is in our lives, Lord, help us to be obedient. And, Lord, how amazing is it that you give us your the Holy Spirit, Lord, to equip us and to empower us and to and even give us the faith to, to trust and to do those things and to be obedient. And so, Lord, you're, this is your grace, Lord, that you're, you're doing all this work in us if we just let you, if we just give you access, Lord. And Father, right now, Lord, we don't know the outcome of... of Of the election, Lord, this thing's probably going to drag on for a period of time, Lord. But we know that right now in our country, if there's anything that we can see clearly in this election, Lord, is that this country is divided. That in many respects, Lord, your church is divided. That Lord, there's fear. There's anxiety. There's shattered hopes. There's despair, Lord. Lord, help us to be a people who are radically obedient to your call on our lives, Lord, such that we would be used by you In mighty and powerful ways to reach this country, Lord, those who are lost with the truth of the gospel, that it would be for your glory and that many lives would be saved. Help us, Lord, beyond anything else, to like Noah, yes, demonstrate faithful obedience. But faith and obedience that stems from an understanding, Lord, of your plan of salvation and the judgment that comes. And so, Lord, may we be faithful also in in just telling others, Lord, about you. So, Father, whatever it is that you desire to do in our lives, Lord, once again, I pray that it would be so. We'd be a surrendered people to you and allow you to move and work in us, Lord, perhaps in ways that uh, we've never allowed you to before. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. Lord, we give you thanks tonight. And we ask all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week. So make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you would like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.